I am so grateful that everyone can be here today. Our deepest sympathies to Jim's son and his family, Christine, Louie, son-in-law. Um, we loved Jim Benedict. We love Jim Benedict. He was such a type of Christ that was never about him. It was always about serving the underprivileged, the homeless, reaching out. Whenever you saw Jim, he always wore something that said Jesus because that's what his life was about. And he leaves a wonderful legacy to his family, to this church, and I'm so privileged to be his pastor for many years. He, he taught me so much. Jim, Jim was the type of guy that never wanted his left hand to know what his right hand was doing. And he never wanted people to know what he was doing. But I can't tell you the countless times he came to my office door on a Monday after we raised some money for something, and he would say, God put it on my heart to match the funds. Whether it was a car wash for speed of light, God put it on my heart to match the funds. He was a very generous individual, and uh, he will be so missed. But I know that today he's rejoicing before his Lord and Savior. I'm so thankful that you're a part of this family. Those who are joining online, thank you for the opportunity to join us this way. We are today in the third week of a message series about the life of Elisha. If you were with us the first week, we were burning plows and talking about a ridiculous commitment. Last week, we were digging ditches as Pastor Matt spoke about a ridiculous faith. Today, we're going to be collecting some jars and talk about a ridiculous provision. And I'm so excited about next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about a floating axe head, how an axe head floated on water and talk about a ridiculous recovery and I believe God, through that message next week, is going to challenge many to get their spiritual edge back in your life. Okay, let's, let's be honest this morning. I'm, I'm looking out here, and I'm sure there's not a single individual who hasn't in this life gone through some type of trial that brought about distress in your life. And maybe you're going through a circumstance right now that is causing you distress. Trials are a part of this Christian journey. In this world, you will have trouble. What I find kind of interesting is that some people have more trouble than others. But trials are significant to our spiritual growth. 
And this is my own personal observation. My own personal observation that I have taken notice of in my life and in lives of others. That in times of trouble, in times of distress, when going through a trial, it has a way of making you become less dependent on yourself and more dependent on Him. And God wants us to be totally dependent upon Him. And it's through that distress, it's through those trials that I've known as people walk closer to the Lord and are able to trust Him for all that they need. Because believe it or not, if you haven't gotten to this point yet, there is going to come a time where the Lord is going to get you in a place where you have no control. And man, that's not, that's not fun because we like to always be in control. But you have to, the Lord will get us to the place where we have no control so that our full dependency is upon Him. After all, how did He teach His disciples how to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. I want you totally dependent upon me. David, the shepherd, in Psalms 23, learned this very lesson. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. I'm dependent upon him. And it was these very words that Paul learned, as well as wrote to the church at Philippi, And my God shall supply. And notice I have it in the King James. The NIV says my God shall meet. I I just like the word supply. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. How many know that God has an abundance of riches that no matter what you're going through, he can meet and supply Everything that you need. Today we're going to take a look in 2 Kings chapter 4. And we're going to take a look at a poor, destitute woman who was in distress. And I want you to take note of the three important steps she took to turn her trial into trust. And my prayer is that you will learn from this woman's life that through the trials and the circumstances and the distressing times of life, we could apply these three steps so that we too can have a greater trust in God and that he will be our full source of supply. All right, how does the story start off? It starts off in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. Let's first take note of the dilemma that caused her distress. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered, he feared the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elijah replied to her, how can I help you? 
Tell me. What, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing. Your, your servant has nothing there at all, she said. Except a little oil. The first thing I took note of is, can anybody tell me this woman's name? We do not know the name of this woman. She goes on left unnamed, which you might think because you don't know the name of this woman, well, then she's not very significant, but she's very significant. And let me say something. There are going to be times in your life when you go through the hardships of life where, where you think be, because of the stress, you, you think that, oh, woe is me. Myself and, and what I'm going through is insignificant to God. But I want you to know that God knows your name and he cares for you. And nothing you ever go through is not seen by him. Secondly, her husband has died. We do know he was one who feared the Lord. He, he revered the Lord. We also know that he was from the company of the prophets. Some scholars actually believe that this man was Obadiah. Oh, what do we know about Obadiah? Obadiah was the man who hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets from Jezebel and Ahab. Remember, 50 in one cave, 50 in the other. And he supplied water and food to them. What else do we know? We know that when he died, he left a debt. And now the creditor is coming to make good on what was owed to him. Jewish law back then said that you could go to the, his family and and secure his family members and make them your slave until the year of Jubilee when they would be set free. This was also in a time of famine. So the boys couldn't work. She couldn't work. I'm sure, well, she could work. But I'm sure it wasn't a type of profession that she wanted to be involved in. And we know from Scripture that this woman is destitute. She has depleted her resources. Your, your servant has nothing. Her, her debts outweighed her income. Her debts, what she owed, outweighed her assets. And now the creditor is coming for her two sons so that they can be his slaves. However, take note that in her distress, however, she knew who to turn to. The Bible says that she cried out to Elisha. Elijah, the prophet of God, the one who was the spokesperson for God, the one who represented God. And when it says she cried out, it's not that, oh, Elijah. But in the Hebrew, 
That very word cry in the original means to shriek. Showing the distress. She cried out to Elisha. Now, through these points, I want to share a life principle. The first principle I want to share with you is this. When you don't have what you really want, God is what you really need. When you don't have what you really want, what did this woman need? She needed some resources. She needed some moolah. She needed some money to pay off the debt. When you don't have really what you want, what did she really want? She wanted money to pay off her debt, to keep her boys. God is what you really need. So how does Elijah respond to this cry? How can I help you? Please note what he didn't say. Oh, that's too bad. So sorry. I'll be thinking about you. I never really understood that. When you're hurting and someone says, oh, I'll be thinking about you. Please, if I'm hurting, don't just think about me. Pray for me. Do something significant. And that's what he does. When he says, tell me, what do you have in your house? What is he saying? He's looking for a resource. He's trying to be a help. He wants to help this woman. What, what do you have in your house? I want to help. Now, when you're going through a troubling time, when you're going through a hardship, and you're all stressed out. The only thing you can usually think of is what you don't have. Woe is me. And she says, your servant has nothing at all. When you ask most people, hey, what do you have? What do they usually say? Yeah, I don't have much. What do you have? I don't have anything. I learned this in 1981, oh, 1982, right in January 1982. I, I had graduated from Bible school. Heather and I were married in the spring of 1981. I went to the fall semester at Valley Forge. I did Bible school in three and a half years. I was done in December. She was working at AT&T. I had graduated looking for a place uh, of employment to minister, couldn't find anything. So I took the next available thing I could find. I came knocking on your door to sell vacuum cleaners. I was an Electrolux vacuum cleaner salesman. It was the only thing I could find. And, and some of you are shaking your heads or some of other people. They used to sell vacuum cleaners. Yeah, Kirby and Electrolux. And I remember down, being down in Frenchtown, New Jersey. I go up to the steps. They must have known I was coming because out on their porch was this old Electrolux vacuum cleaner. I'm like, I knock on the door. I say, hey, I'm Jeff Philhauer, Electrolux. I'd like to show you our new product. I see that you're familiar with Electrolux. He goes, yeah, it's not very good. I saw you coming, so I just wanted to show you what we have. And I was like, he said, I just want to show you what we have. 
But he said these words, I don't have anything. That's what he said. I don't have anything. And I said, well, that's okay. I can sh come show you our, uh, and demonstrate the machine. So when you have something, you know, I'll leave you my card. You can call me, and I can sell you the vacuum cleaner. I went in there, and, you know, you're pulling dirt from the rug, and you're giving this beautiful demonstration. And, and he, so, he, during the middle of the demonstration, he gets up, and he walks off. And I'm thinking, did I offend him? His house is so dirty, you know, and his wife's going to be in trouble. You know, I'm like, you know, and he comes back. He says, I don't need to see any more. What will $100 buy? What was his words? You can come in, but I don't have anything. And I said, well, $100 will be a, big down, a good down payment for the next two years. Your payments will be $35 a month, and I can leave the machine here and road them up and walk down. What do you have in your house? Nothing. Your servant doesn't have anything at all. Except, I have a little oil. And I'll tell you what. I'm glad we serve a God who can do much with a little. Remember when he was talking to the 5,000 plus men and women? And, and it was getting late, and it was, it was a, you need to send them home because they're going to be hungry. He says, no, you feed them. And what, what do you mean, we feed them? And, and he didn't understand, the disciples, well, we feed them. We don't have enough resources to feed them. And, 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 and how are we going to go catering? We're out here in the middle of nowhere. And, and the, but there's a little boy who has five barley loaves and two fishes. Aren't you glad you serve a God who does much with a little? And after that little boy gave those five barley loaves and those two fishes, Jesus blessed it, multiplied it. Fed the 5,000 plus men and, and uh, women and children. And, and when the disciples came back, there were still 12 baskets of leftovers. And what about the Israel army when they were paralyzed and couldn't move? Because there was a big giant by the name of Goliath terrorizing the army of God. Aren't you glad God does a lot with a little a little boy by the name of David. The Israelites saw Goliath as so big he couldn't be beaten. But David saw him as so big he couldn't miss with a slingshot. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed. I tell you, you can tell this mountain to go throw itself in the sea. I am so thankful we serve a God who does much with little. What do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing. Except a little oil. Now, let's take a look at her determination to comply with what Elijah said. Elijah said, go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. When I, whenever I read this passage of Scripture, it takes me back 
1983. We were in Winchester, Virginia. It was around Christmas time. This, this family who, who did not have a lot came up to Heather and I. She said, we, we want to give you something for Christmas. And I, we baked some bread for you. And I made some jam. If you want to bake some bread and make some jam, I'll take it any time. And then she goes on to proceed to tell us, however, I need, when you're done with the jam, I need the jar back. Because we, we made so much jam, I didn't have enough jars, and I had to go garbage picking. And this is the day before recycling, when garbage picking was garbage picking. Sometimes you don't need to tell all the details. <laughs> and we were very gracious and emptied the jar <laughs> and gave it back in a couple of weeks. But this woman didn't have to garbage pick. This woman didn't have to go through recycling bins. She had to go knocking on doors. Do you have any empty jars? Can you give me an empty jar? you have any empty jars? And she started to collect that which was asked. Not a few. I believe her collecting stores, star, jars is an important message for us. How many know God wants to bless? God wants to bless. But before he blesses her, she had to make preparations. God blessed Abraham so he could be a blessing to others. God wants to bless, but you got to make room. you got to prepare for his blessings. Are you willing? To rearrange your busy schedule to make room for God. We live in such a fast paced world, so preoccupied. Are we preparing ourselves? Are we making room for the blessings of God? Now, I want to pause for a moment. Because as I was going through the story, I thought that there, there's a deeper meaning for us in this story than just collecting jars. Let's think about this. Elisha represents Jesus. He's a type of Christ. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. Let's just say this woman's house represents the church. The wife represents the present generation. Her two sons represents the future generation. The Nickies, the Annas. The future generation. The Lucys. Now watch. The woman was in danger of losing that next generation to who? 
the creditors. The creditors represent the world. Could it be? I'm just saying, could it be? And why was she in danger of losing her two sons? Why are we in danger of losing this next generation? Because like the woman, there was nothing in the house. Come on. We owe it to the next generation that when they come in to this house, we have prepared our hearts for a move of God that they may taste and see and not be taken out by this world. And how we need to heed this principle. Stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. Stop waiting. Lord, we want, we want miracles. Lord, we want a revival. Lord, we want to see your spirit poured out on this next generation. You can wait all you want, but at some point you have to start working with what you have. Wednesday nights, this coming Wednesday, we're going to start our study in the book of Judges. If you want to come, we meet out in the cafe. And there is a verse in Judges. I consider it one of the saddest verses in the Bible. When Joshua had died, it says in Judges, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. As we sit around waiting for what we want, we need to start working with what we have so we don't lose this next generation. Do you know what the very next verse says? The very verse says in Judges chapter 2, verse 11, and the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Elijah said, go around and ask for all your neighbors for empty jars and, and don't, don't, ask, don't ask for just a few. And then, ooh, come on. Does anything, does anything click with you when you read this next? Then go and shut the door behind you. Go and shut the door behind you. Come on, some of you are starting to think, you're, I see you shaking your head, you're, you're connecting the dots. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, when you pray to the Father, go into your closet and what? Shut the door. Could this be a reference to prayer while just sitting around waiting for the revival? Maybe we need to work with what we have and shut our doors and start praying to the Father. Before God pours out his blessings, you need to seek his face. God was about ready to pour out his blessing on this poor, destitute woman. But before then, she shut the door with her sons. She started to take the little oil Started filling jars. 
They brought jars to her. And, and she kept filling jar after jar after jar. And then all of a sudden, when all the jars were full, the, the son stopped. She, Bring me another one, he replied. There's not a jar left. As long as there were empty jars, the oil would have kept flowing. But all the jars were full. God, offer God what you have and trust him to give you what you need. And that's what this poor, destitute widow woman in distress did. She, she offered to God what she had and she trusted him to give him what she needed. And in the very next verse, he says, now she went to the man of God and he said, now go sell all this oil. Go, go. And, and olive oil was a precious commodity. Sell it. Pay off your debts. And you and your sons can live on what is left. How many know that God shall supply all your needs? Her deliverance brought her comfort. She learned firsthand to trust as long as there were empty jars he kept filling now how does it apply to us well it applies that we don't want to lose this next generation to the world we need to start working with what we have but how does it apply personally when he asked to collect jars, he never said certain colors. He never said certain shapes or certain sizes. There was only one request, and the request was the jar had to be empty. Before he could fill it. Pastor Bonnie, you can come. God wants to pour out his Holy Spirit. But he can't pour it out in something that's filled. Second... Corinthians 4.17 says but we have this treasure what is that treasure that treasure is Christ Jesus we have this treasure in jars of clay you know what the jars of clay are the jars of clay is our life the jars of clay is our bodies we have this treasure. And Paul likens our body to a jar of clay. Yeah, they, they, they didn't probably have glass. They had clay jars back then, but this was a lot easier.
And could it be that the Lord needs for us to empty ourselves of self? Could it be that the Lord needs to allow us to empty ourselves of pride, empty ourselves of greed, empty ourselves of personal agendas? Could it be the Lord, before he can fill us, needs us to empty ourselves of idols? Maybe we need to empty ourselves of self-pity, of that victim. Maybe we need to shed that, that victim complex. Poor me, it sucks to be me. Everything bad happens to me. Maybe we need to empty ourselves of that attitude. Maybe we need to empty ourselves of self-righteousness so that the Lord can pour in a jar of clay His Spirit upon us. And when we empty ourselves, we become dependent upon Him And as we depend and trust in Him, all of a sudden, when we're weak, He becomes our strength. When we're hurting, He becomes our comfort. When we're lost, He becomes our guide. When we're hungry, He becomes the bread of life. When we're thirsty, He becomes the water of life. He becomes our all and all. And through the trials and the difficulties that causes distress, He wants us to become empty so that we become totally dependent upon Him as our source for everything. Would you stand with me? just a few moments Pastor Bonnie's going to start singing and man I I'm one who grew up on altars I love altars altars alter lives I've always said that and maybe there are some here you want God to pour out his spirit upon you but you know you need to empty yourself of some things first. Or maybe you came in here and you're in distress and you say, Pastor, I don't know how much more empty I can get. Well, maybe God will fill you today.